We are strong. We are proud. We are the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado. We build vibrant communities across the state by investing in our people. By the year 2042, one of three Coloradans will be of Latino ancestry. We must create opportunity so our children, families, and elders can share their stories, feel connected, and give back at all levels of society to shape an inclusive Colorado. We are your trusted partner, your ambassador for transformative change. Somos familia. Let's create our collective power together. Connect with us at latinocfc.org. This is the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado, our story series. This series elevates and addresses issues pertinent throughout Latino communities in Colorado and beyond. We believe transformative change is possible when the collective power of the Latino community comes together. Hello, I'm Carlos Martinez with the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado. We are excited to continue with part two of the rich, in-depth, historical discussion of our community's past, present, and future, entitled El Conocimiento, featuring Dr. Nikki Gonzalez, Colorado State Historian and Associate Professor of History, Politics, and the Political Economy at Regis University. There are some other really interesting spiritual traditions that define our community. One is the Crypto-Jews, very common throughout Southern Colorado and Northern New Mexico. And these are Spanish Jews who fled the Inquisition in 1492 and in the years after. And they fled the persecution in Spain. Many of them settled in New Spain, um, in places in Mexico and also what would become the American Southwest. They hid their Jewish identities and practices and blanketed them under a cloak of Spanish Catholicism. And here in this image here, you can see that this is a cemetery, a Catholic cemetery in the Rio Grande, Rio Grande Valley. Um, this picture or this gravestone was from about 1905. And it shows you a cross in the background and the five commandments in Hebrew. Um, and so we often, this is a very common site in, in Southern Colorado where we see kind of the juxtaposition of Jewish and Catholic symbolism. Um, these are very deeply rooted traditions. Uh, families in recent years, I would say the last 20 years, have begun making the connection between traditions that they grew up with, such as lighting candles on Friday evenings, certain foods, certain traditions um, that kind of mirror a kosher um, approach to eating, um, that are truly a hybrid spirituality. There's some interesting oral histories that I've encountered around this crypto-Jewish tradition. One is um, the family of Apollina Rael, who is one of the major activists in Southern Colorado in the San Luis Valley. And he would proudly talk about his great-grandfather, who, whose name um, was actually derived from De Israel. So it's a family of crypto-Jewish tradition or heritage. Um, and he talked about him being part of the Battle of Glorieta Pass, which was part of the Civil War in 1862, and how his family had a, a very um, proud tradition of resisting um, injustice. And this is a tradition that stemmed from their, their history as Jews who were fleeing persecution in Spain 
to the land rights movement in the late 20th century in, in San Luis, Colorado. Also, DNA um, tests have recently proven that uh, Jewish ancestry is, is fairly common in Southern Colorado. And in fact, I recently did a DNA test and I, I too have, have Jewish blood in my background. Further, um, churches have been centers of political activism. There is a long tradition of churches providing the space and the values um, that have contributed to community activism. Um, it was church funds during the 1960s, during the, church, the Catholic Church's version of the War on Poverty, which mirrored kind of the national um, LBJ's War on Poverty, which provided funds to poor communities to fuel many of their social justice activism um, movements. Um, some examples of this include a newspaper that was called La Cucaracha in Pueblo, Colorado, which was founded in the 1970s, which, um, which covered the, the social movements of the time, the political movements, and especially the land grant movement in the San Luis Valley. Further, um, another example is Father Jose Lara at Denver's Guadalupe Parish, who took took on many causes from immigration to workers' rights to just general political organizing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, a very beloved figure in Colorado history. And so there are many of these examples in which um, the church, these spiritual traditions provided both the ideological framework and spaces for community organizing. And I would say as the community has moved away from formalized religion, um, this function has also faded. Another characteristic that defines us as a Latino community is our work ethic. I often joke with my dad that we built this state, and yet there's, there's a lot of truth to that statement. We have a long tradition in Colorado history of working with our bodies, with our muscles. We have a toughness and a grit about our, about our, our work we have a, a long history of working in mining, in steel, in smelting, in farming, in ranching, meatpacking, migrant agricultural farm labor. And today this tradition continues with landscaping, infrastructure, construction, and agriculture. We have contributed to the growth of this state and to our nation, particularly in times of crisis. One example of this is during World War II, a couple of examples associated with the Second World War. One is the Bracero, program, which was in, initiated in 1942 and would last until 1964, which came out of an agreement between the United States government and the government of Mexico, um, which was a guest labor program in which Mexicans could get a, a guest labor contract to come to the United States and to work in whatever industry needed their labor the most, and they tended to be agricultural industries. And so during this time, we have thousands of Mexican laborers who came into Colorado. Many of them stayed beyond their contract, um, but they contributed to the war effort, producing food, producing wool for, for soldiers, and so forth, meeting the needs of our wartime economy. And indeed, they helped win the war. Another example um, of this the role of our work ethic during the Second World War came again in, on ranches throughout the, the state of Colorado where Latino families joined together to meet the needs of a burgeoning um, wartime economy. 
there are these endearing stories that I've encountered through my oral history work of young boys who were contributing to the family economy um, around caring for animals, often sheep, which were used um, for their wool, um, which were used for uniforms for the, the soldiers abroad. And because this was a time of rationing, they were not always able to buy shoes. And so I've heard stories of, of in, in families where young boys would wear their sister, older sister's high heels to, to do the agricultural work in. And so it was, it was really a, a community and a family enterprise during the Second World War. And again, it was those efforts that helped, um, helped, us, win the sec- help, helped us win the war. Our community also has a long tradition of mutual aid. So through labor unions, um, a history of labor organizing, especially here in Denver and in Pueblo, um, organizing for higher wages, better conditions. Um, There's an example in 1968, actually, of a a woman, uh, Lupe Bersenio, who led a floral strike at the the Kitayama Floral um, Factory in Brighton, Colorado. Um, for better wages. And even though the strike itself was not successful, it gained public attention nationwide and really kind of shined a spotlight on the conditions that um, Latino women in particular were experiencing at the time. Our next characteristic um, that defines us as a community is our long tradition of patriotism and military service. In community after community where I've done research throughout the state of Colorado, Latinos reveal very proudly um, long family traditions of military service. These are defined more often than not by a belief that they were serving the highest ideals of, of our country and that they were contributing to a more democratic society and indeed a more democratic world. Our young people have served the nation in percentages that far exceed our proportion of the the state's um, population, as well as the nation's population of Latinos. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf War, Afghanistan, and Iraq, we all see disproportionate rates of participation and high rates of combat roles, or the most dangerous roles in the military served by by young Latinos. For example, in Vietnam, Latinos represented 19% of all casualties in the war, even though we represented only 13% of the nation's population. And disproportionately, um, Latino uh, soldiers would walk point. They would, they would be, you know, many of them entered the Marine Corps, which was considered some of the, the most risky. Um, aspects of of military service. Vietnam, in particular, because of its timing during the Great Society programs, during the civil rights movements, Vatican II and the Catholic Church politicized soldiers and veterans and indeed politicized communities, pointing out the hypocrisy of a government that drafted them into a war for democracy, but then tolerated their second-class treatment back home. From this military service, we have organizations that are specific, unique to to the Latino community, such as the GI Forum, which emerged in the wake of World War II when um, Latino veterans were turned away from some of the mainstream veterans organizations. And so they formed an organization of their own, which became known as the GI Forum. And we have branches here in Denver um, that are very active and provide spaces for 
returning vets from whatever war to come together to form community and to begin the process of healing. More recently, in the attack on the Kabul airport in the final days of the US evacuation from Afghanistan, four of the 13 US soldiers who were killed were from the Latino communities in our nation. So this tradition of military service continues. And you can see here this image of um, a Latino Marine Corps soldier in Vietnam from Boulder County. And his story is very typical of, of many of the young men who, who did serve in Vietnam at that time, who experienced very few opportunities at home. And for them, you know, it was, it was not possible to get out of the draft during the Vietnam War, which often gave uh, college deferments to those, to those young men who could afford to go to college at the time. Celebrate with us on October 13, 2022, as we celebrate the 15th anniversary of the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado at the Denver Art Museum. Don't miss it. Another characteristic that defines us as a community, as the Latino community, is a deep attachment to our ancestors and to our history. And I really can't emphasize this enough. This is at the heart of our community. It is at the heart of our diverse history. And indeed, our, our histories are very diverse. Um, for some of us, the border crossed us, and for others, the, they crossed the border. And if you can see, if you check out this map here, this is a map from the 1790s, um, which shows you the extent of New Spain. Um, and you can see that what would become Colorado is part of Nuevo Mexico or New Mexico, the New Mexico province of New Spain. And so as early as the 1700s, the Spanish were making forays into this country or into uh, what would become Colorado. Um, and so our presence was, was very early on. And they were encountering um, the indigenous tribes of this region. And there was some intermixing that was going on during this time and some hybridity that was going on as well. This next map shows us another kind of phase of our history in this state, which is the Mexico period. So when Mexico declared its independence in 1821, it did so in a world that was very different from the world that existed under New Spain. So it was a world in which the Americans coming from the East were rapidly advancing into the West and into the Southwest in particular. They were following trade lines. Um, the Santa Fe Trail had op opened in 1822. And with that, we see an influx of Anglo-American um, traders, French Canadian traders coming into the Southwest. And in response, the New Mexican government at the time led by a governor named Manuel Armijo um, created Mexican land grants, which were, the goal of these land grants was to create a buffer so that the Mexican influence could be, could kind of fend off the influx of settlers and traders from the East. And you can see on the map that um, some of these land grants extended into Colorado and would kind of shape the history of Southern Colorado in some very important ways. And in particular, my own research has um, really centered on the Sangre de Cristo land grant, which is, was a million dollar land grant that was granted in 1843 when this was still Mexico, um, and which is the, the basis for probably the longest running land grant movement um, by an indigenous or 
by a Hispano community to regain and protect its land, grant, its land rights. This next map um, shows us the migration patterns during World War II. And it is, what it shows you is that there was a large influx into the West. What it doesn't show you is the, in, the migration patterns within the state of Colorado, which really kind of manifested in small rural Latino communities um, feeding a lot of the migration into cities like Denver and Pueblo, Colorado Springs, a little bit into Fort Collins as well, Boulder, um, to feed those wartime industries. So it was during World War II, it's like the country was just kind of shaken up and people were migrating all over the place. And this is also the time of um, the Bracero program, which I have already discussed. In post-1965 Colorado, we see more and more immigration from um, Latin American countries into, into our state, which diversifies um, the Latino population. We see with the 1965 Immigration Act, the opening of the doors to immigration from Latin American countries as well as Asian countries. And with that, we see um, an influx of people from Mexico, from Guatemala, from El Salvador, uh, from Peru, um, people, again, looking for a better life in, in Colorado, see what Colorado has to offer. And then in the 1980s, um, in 1986 in particular, there was an amnesty. There was an immigration act that was passed, which granted, if you could, pr if you could prove that you were here for so many years through rental receipts, through bills, et cetera, um, you could be granted amnesty by the American government. And it has been the only amnesty act that we have... Um, experienced in, in American history. And with this, again, we see an increasingly diverse uh, Latino population in Colorado, which has added to the richness of our community. And so when you look over time, you see that our histories are very, very complex. Um, issues of borders, you know, borders crossing people, people crossing borders, borders moving between Colorado and New Mexico. Um, treaties, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in 1848, which, you know, overnight made people who had once been Mexican citizens, made them American citizens with, you know, promises to uphold land, land rights, et cetera. Um, not, not being upheld. Um, and so you see issues of land ownership and, and the clash of land systems. Um, again, we see that with the Sangre de Cristo land grant in Southern Colorado. You see issues of identity. Throughout the 20th century, the American government is trying to figure out who are Latinos. Are they white? Are they not white? Are they somehow, what, what makes them distinct? And so they're grappling with that. And within our community, we're grappling with those same questions. Who are we? I mean, there are people in our community who identify as white and, and those who do not. Um, you know, the, the argument or the debate over labels, right, is real. Our histories are also um, characterized by legal histories around school equity. Okay, we see desegregation cases in Denver in the 1970s. Um, we see workers' rights at the heart of these legal struggles. And then, of course, land rights, which I keep alluding to, which is a big issue in Colorado history. We see um, 
moment of political organization for rights. Um, in the 1940s and 50s, there are Mexican-American organizations that emerge that begin arguing for Mexican-American equ equity for Mexican-Americans in education and in work opportunities. And then the burgeoning, I mean, Colorado is a hotbed of, of activism in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s with the Chicano movement. It's one of the major epicenters of the national Chicano movement. And again, at the heart of those movements um, throughout the state of Colorado, kind of a um, patchwork of movements that create, that make up the Chicano movement in Colorado. You see, you know, movements against police brutality, movements for school equity, movements for job um, access, movements for, you know, to home ownership issues, for access to home, home lending, mortgages um, from banks. You see also, um, Arguments for for women and out of the Chicano movement, we see Chicanas um, identifying as as Chicana for for the first time away from from their male counterparts and arguing that they are they are suffering from dual oppression both because they are Chicano from the Chicano community and um, the sexism within the Chicano movement. And so you see Chicana activists. Um, you know, claiming their voices and um, fighting for, for equity on both of those fronts. Our, our complex history is also characterized by immigration politics. Okay, and more recently, in the past couple of decades, immigration has been at the forefront of, of our struggles. Um, in the 1990s, you see kind of a beginning, or not even the beginning, but a continuation of the militarization of the U.S.-Mexico border and a demonization of people who, who have come from Mexico, especially. Um, and then throughout the, the 21st century, we see the immigration battles continuing. In more recent years, we see more attention at structural racism, the history of structural racism in American history and in the history of Colorado, as um, Klan membership ledgers have been released by, by History Colorado. Um, and people have kind of pointed to the, the history of redlining in Colorado history and the fact that Mex or Latinos have been um, marginalized in mortgage lending and relegated to certain less desirable parts of the city and so forth. Our community's history and our individual histories are infinitely complex, but I have hope that gatherings like this led by the Latino Community Foundation, can build upon a long tradition of political organization and leadership development that can unify us as a Latino community and can guide us through the next phase, phases of our presence in Colorado. Demographics are certainly in our favor. And if you look at these maps, um, a couple of maps here, the first map shows these are recent maps. Um, the first one shows counties with over 33% Latino population. Um, and those counties are Adams, Alamosa, Conejos, Castilla, Huerfano, Las Animas, Morgan, Otero, Prowers, Pueblo, Rio Grande, and Sawatch. And the second map here shows us counties in Colorado with over 100,000 Latinos. And these include Adams County, Arapahoe, Denver, and El Paso counties. So certainly, our influence in the state of Colorado has increased over time. 
and we will continue to have an influence um, in politics, in economics, in education, and in the economy. I will close with a quote from James Baldwin, which reminds us of the importance of our history and the importance of our history in order to know ourselves and one another. He wrote this in 1965 as part of an essay called Unnameable Objects, Unspeakable Crimes. He wrote, history, as, no one, as nearly no one seems to know, is not merely something to be read, and it does not refer merely or even principally to the past. On the contrary, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it within us. We are unconsciously controlled by it in many ways, and history is literally present in all that we do. It could scarcely be otherwise, since it is to history that we owe our frames of reference, our identities, and our aspirations. This podcast was brought to you by the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado. Thank you for joining us today for the Our Story podcast, where Latino lived experiences meets action. Mil gracias to our first Latina state historian, Dr. Nikki Gonzalez. This series was made possible through the support of the Colorado Housing and Finance Authority, Colorado Health Foundation, Molson Coors, and University of Colorado. Production credits to Emmy-winning producers, Truce Media Collective. To learn more about the work of the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado, visit us at latinocfc.org and consider helping us make transformative change by becoming a donor. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Latino CFC. This is the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado, our story series. Next up, episode three, Quienes Somos, part one, where Dr. G. Cristina Mora, associate professor of sociology at UC Berkeley, builds upon El Conocimiento and explores our Latino collective.